From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. And today, we're talking about the coronavirus. What effect will it have on your portfolio? What effect will it have on the market going forward? Michael and Adam discuss thoroughly what they think is going to happen and what that means for your portfolio. Also, just a heads up, we recorded uh, over the phone from our respective houses. So you'll notice that the quality will sound like it's over the phone, and that's because it is. So we just wanted to give you a heads up. You might hear some crackling, some background noise, and that's all because we are obviously staying home and taking precautions as we wish you and your families to do as well. Okay, guys, without further ado, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. I'm doing well also. A little bit of a new format for us here in light of everything going on. Uh, hopefully this helps kind of put you know, everything that's been going on into perspective and you know give us a little guidance. Absolutely. So first, let's start off. Michael, um, would you call this outbreak unprecedented? Would you use that word? You know, that's an interesting question, Jared. We have had a lot of people who have used that word. Uh, people in the media, clients have had questions. And we really aren't equipped or able to comment on whether or not the virus itself is unprecedented. What we would acknowledge is that the actions that the government has taken uh, to slow the spread of the virus is unprecedented. And that will probably impact uh, the economy in the short term. So if people are not going out to eat, if people are not uh, congregating, spending money, Uh, The U.S. consumer is obviously going to, in the short term, uh, not be spending money, and so that's going to have an impact. Now, the question of whether it's unprecedented, when you translate that from the economy to the stock market, I think that's a different question because Adam can talk about really how many market declines have we seen that are bigger than this or equal to this uh, over the last however many years. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a good point to kind of break this into two different kind of categories, right? I mean, you have the, the, uh, your, your assessment, your analysis of the, of the virus. And to Michael's point, that's not really where we are equipped to, to give good advice. Um, the CDC is there for that. You know, healthcare officials are where we should be looking for um, on that side. But when it comes to just the effect on the markets, um, I think obviously the virus itself has had an impact, but also just the the actions and the steps taken by the authorities to try to stem it have an equal to, if not bigger effect than the actual virus itself. And so if we just look at where markets are today, uh, I mean, based on the time we're recording this, I stepped away from the market. I, I want to say after today, it's it's roughly the S&P is down roughly 30 or maybe the Dow is down roughly 30%. But if we just look back um, at at previous recessions, obviously the one everyone's going to remember, December of 07 through June of 08, that was a peak to trough drop. So from the start of the recession to the very lowest point of the recession, S&P was down 57%. That lasted over a period of 517 days. 
Before that, we had the dot-com bust. So that was March of 2001 to November 2001. That was a drop of 49% in the S&P 500, and that lasted 929 days. Previous to that, July 1990, drop of 20%. That was over 87 days, which is interesting because from a behavioral standpoint, it's a relatively short amount of time and a quick drop, um, which is what we're experiencing today. Um, I think that's what is most stark about this uh, uh, fluctuation that we've seen is that it's been so steep and so quick. And I would attribute some of that, um, you know, like everyone else trying to prepare, trying to get my family ready for this. And it is eerie, right? When you go to the grocery store and shelves are empty. I mean, as citizens of the United States, I think we are, and it's a good thing, but we're fairly insulated from you know, a lot of the moving parts that actually make an economy tick and a lot of the kind of struggles that a lot of people on the globe face every day. So I don't think we can discount, you know, and again, not discounting the actual threat of the virus itself. It's obviously a very dangerous thing, but also you compound that with just the psychological reaction, because I know I experienced it myself of going to you know the grocery store and seeing shelves empty. It, it's an eerie feeling. It's an unsettling feeling, even if subconsciously I know that in a week or two, all those shelves are going to be restocked and they will be. It still just kind of has this effect of being of, of reminding you, you know, kind of how susceptible we all are as humans to just outside stimulus, outside danger. So I think that from a market standpoint, I think if you look at the past, this certainly is not unprecedented. Um, We have had big drops in the market before, um, but I think the trick now, and and Michael, maybe you can speak to this, the trick is to try to correlate the the novel nature of of this virus, right? The the fact that we did say this is a somewhat unprecedented viral outbreak. Um, how, How will that affect markets, given that we don't necessarily have a a similar or or like event in the past we can point to right michael so we've we, we've had these drops before but not quite like this and especially not quite like this when we talk about you know zika or ebola in other words how does how did these viral outbreaks affect the market in the past and our psychology as well well i think that may be one of the ways in which we can legitimately say this is unprecedented uh if you go excuse me, all the way back to 1981. In June 1981, we had um, HIV AIDS. And it was, it wasn't an outbreak like this has been. It wasn't like all of a sudden everybody knew somebody who who might be infected. It it also took uh, a long time for us to acknowledge that it wasn't something that was just going to affect one particular uh, part of society. And so um, once you expanded and realized, oh, this could affect anybody, uh, you then could get very nervous. uh, But the outbreak itself really wasn't a major event. Um, Magic Johnson coming out and saying he was HIV positive was actually one of the Uh, things that was most impactful because all of a sudden somebody that you quote unquote knew had it. Put a face on it. Put a face on it Uh, a lot in the same way, like when Tom Hanks says, I have this. So, so now 
what happened to markets when we, we found out that, you know, it was uh, possible that even something like Magic Johnson could get HIV or really not much. So when it was determined or, or when it was announced that HIV was a thing, it didn't really affect markets. When uh, it was when when Magic came out with his announcement, again, markets didn't react. Um, and then if you go through and you just look and you say, well, what if some of the, you know, some of the other things that we talk about are SARS, the avian flu, the swine flu. Um, MERS is one. MERS is another one. Um, one of the things that's just interesting is that all of these uh, viruses have kind of not affected the U.S. consumer. So mm-hmm. while we may uh, hear about them and they're the, kind of this scary thing that's going on on the other side of the world. We can believe that it's not going to affect us. It's not going to affect the supply chain. And so we seem pretty comfortable just ignoring them almost. Um, and I know, Adam, you've done some research on, well, what has the S&P performance been relative to these viruses? And then yep. how would we react or how do we think we might react this time? Right. So what's interesting is if you look at um, all of those examples, excluding HIV, because that's not I, I would put that in a slightly different category um, from a psychological standpoint. I think it's similar. Uh, but if you look at the other viral outbreaks, um, avian flu, MERS, uh, Ebola, um, you could also look at uh, the swine and avian flu. If you go three months out from the the beginning of those epidemics, three months after the start of those those epidemics, only one of them caused the S and P to be negative three months after the beginning. So if you look at SARS, swine flu, uh, MERS, and Ebola, all four of those were already positive, and, and by substantial numbers. I mean, SARS S and P was up fifteen percent after three months. Swine flu was up almost sixteen percent. Uh, MERS up 6% and Ebola was up almost 4% three months after the start. Only what the avian Zika? flu, uh, Zika, Zika was up 1.35% after three months. If you push out six months uh, with all of those viral outbreaks, S&P was already uh, in the positive heavily. Same thing one year out. So I think the takeaway here is they haven't had in the past, they haven't had a long-term impact on markets. It's been a disruption, certainly. Um, but again, the key is here, it has been somewhat isolated from the U.S. Um, I think even from a supply chain standpoint, I'm sure there were supply chain disruptions over those viral outbreaks, but we haven't seen it hit U.S. soil um, like we are with the coronavirus. So, And what's interesting, I think, is What's causing a lot of the disruption isn't even to date, right? Because we, in my view, not relative to what other countries are doing, and this is not a political statement at all, but it seems as though we are being very proactive in the sense that we're trying to take the precautions before things get out of hand. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like we're trying to you know, give ourselves the, the medicine from an economic standpoint, because we know there's going to be a lot of disruption from you know, the, the social distancing. And if we do reach the point where there is a mandated quarantine, that's certainly going to have some economic disruption. But it seems that as a society, we've said, and, and I would agree, it seems that as a society, we've said that's we're willing to pay that cost. We're willing to pay that price, right, to avoid the human suffering associated with 
an even wider spread of coronavirus. It's just hard to know because this is the first time it has affected the U.S. citizens in this way. You know exactly what the the long term. Uh, uh, I wouldn't even say the long term effect because markets will return. It's more about the duration. How how long can we expect? Um, are we on the same three month timeline back to positivity like we have been with these other viral outbreaks? Right. Now. And to be fair, when you look at these other viral outbreaks, we haven't had a 20% drop in the stock market that they had to recover from. The, the, the decline has been um, less steep, less pronounced. But the good news in that for an investor is that right now markets have priced in uncertainty. They're, they're essentially markets are are assuming that the U.S. consumer is going to be down and out and not consuming for months and months, not a month or a couple of weeks. So um, it, it kind of is one of those things that if you look and you said, well, today, can I go in and can I invest in the stock market and know that future uncertainty has been priced in? Well, sure, because markets are efficient, but also because today efficient markets have determined that there is a lot of unknown consumer behavior to come. Um, so one of the things that we don't know is what the mortality impact might be on consumers. And so because of that, the market is saying, well, let's assume that that's a lot of people. Right. Well, because we're taking these actions so early, that number may be a lot lower. And if it is a lot lower, then that means that the market is severely underpriced today, meaning it's a really good bargain. It's a good time to be buying into the market. Yeah, I think you touched on something there that is relevant because there's a big difference between uncertainty and risk. And right now, I think we're in the phase where there's so much uncertainty that investors are taking the, the the conservative route and assuming the worst. Now, I think that's absolutely the right thing to do when it comes to protecting your family, taking the precautions to prevent the spread. But the impact that has on the economy from a market standpoint, I don't think is necessarily the best route. Um, if you look at South Korea, that's why they've been so successful in in uh, uh, flattening the curve so quickly, even though they were so highly affected, because they acted very quickly in capturing data. And because the testing kits are still widely unavailable, we just don't have enough data to be able to convert that uncertainty, which you cannot calculate, to risk, which you can calculate. Right. And my hope, kind of to Michael's point, is that once we are able to to convert that uncertainty to risk, the risk actually turns out to be lower than the assumed uncertainty investors are pricing to the market today. Now, that's a big if. Um, ultimately, and we're very fond of saying this, no one can predict the future. Mm-hmm. So I think you know the big question um, is, in light of all of this, right? We, we can pontificate all day long, but in light of all of this, what should you do with your portfolio? What is the best way to kind of combat all these different these different factors? Um, uh, to, to, you know, make sure that you don't uh, make a big mistake. And what is the answer to that question? I'm what glad you, you asked, Jared. <clears throat> yeah, so the, the first thing is, this is a perfect example of why 
you should diversify. Diversification, you know, we, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. I know that when times are good, it's really hard to diversify. It's kind of like, you know, if I can have two pieces of cake, why would I just have one? But when times are good in the S&P, like it has been for the last nine years, it's really easy just to chase those ultimate returns. But this is why you diversify. I yeah. talked about a couple episodes ago. Is there going to be a correction? What I always say is, of course, there will be, but it won't be caused by anything that we think it will be caused by. And that's how it always goes with these types of things. No one saw the coronavirus coming. If you look at, Michael, I know you, you did some uh, looking at the numbers on this, but uh, emerging markets, mainly because the Chinese economy is yeah. performing much, much better than the U.S. economy at this point. And so if you looked and you said uh, there's a lot of, there are several exchanges in China. There's a Shanghai exchange. There's a Shenzhen exchange. Um, we have exchanges in China that are already positive for the year, uh, that have year-to-date gains of almost 5%. Um, Shanghai's uh, exchange, I think, is down about 5%. And so uh, I, I think it's a little more than that now. But it, it, it's basically like when you look at China and you look at their economy, and we can be, you know, angry because we can believe that this started in China. Um, but the reality is simply that as investors, when you diversify and you take your risk and you spread it around the globe, one of the things that you do is uh, you benefit because as some things move drastically lower, like they have in the US, some things like markets in China have only moved slightly lower or in some cases even increased. And so uh, while their stock market has experienced maybe half the losses that uh, US, the U.S. has experienced, um, the other thing you have is the fact that different countries are going to recover at different rates um, and they're going to have different experiences when they recover. So uh, the Chinese markets, in some cases, already look to be bouncing back. And so uh, you can look and you can say, well, if I'm diversified, so if you have money in an emerging market fund, um, you are almost certainly invested in China. And so you're going to benefit from that recovery. Um, it doesn't mean that that overall fund will be up. It It may still be down, but it would be uh, declining by less than a U.S. large cap growth fund, for instance, which uh, right now might be down 30 percent. So that's why diversification matters. You take your your risk and you spread it around the world, uh, and you're going to have you know some positive experiences, some really positive experiences, some negative experiences, some really negative experiences, but you're not going to just have one single financial experience. You're going to diversify across uh, several outcomes. Right. Now, does and the Chinese... I would, I would, uh, go, go ahead, ahead Jerry. Uh, I was going to ask, uh, just in addition to that, but does it? do you think that a Chinese bounce back, as it were, is indicative of a um, an American bounce back? You know what I mean? Like, does the fact yeah. that China started to recover mean that we're we're due? Well, I mean, so they've gone through months of decline and 
may now be recovering. I, I mean, we again now we're starting to comment on things like the epidemic, and we don't really know. But if you if you look, for instance, uh, this is just nerding out fun stuff. But if you look at like uh, pollution maps from uh, NASA, you can see that China has just stopped producing, especially around Wuhan in that in that province, that there's just less pollution. They're That's just cool. not making stuff. And now that pollution is starting to pick back up. You know that Apple closed its stores in mainland China, and now they're open, but Apple has closed its stores in the rest of the world. So now, do we know for sure that what what might happen in China, because they've been quarantining people pretty heavily, what might happen is when those people come back out of isolation and start mixing together, there's another outbreak. Like, we mm. don't honestly know that that won't happen. But what we do know is that a lot of factories are starting up again, the production starting up. And so what you would be saying is, okay, well, the, the trajectory of the virus has peaked and come back down. Um, you know, if, if we trust the numbers coming out of China, if they're, if they're being honest about um, infection rates, et cetera, we know that that is actually true. And so now if we follow the same trajectory, which we are not going to probably hard quarantine people in the same way that China has, but we would also hopefully have better medical care, be a little more prepared because we've known this was coming. Um, we might have a lower curve that lasts the same amount of time, you know, hopefully with a lower mortality rate, et cetera, et cetera. But it may, and it may absolutely mean that we can look and say, okay, this is going to last this recession, this kind of slowdown in our economy, because everybody's staying home is going to last for three to six months. Because, you know, that's kind of right. Uh, that would be the short three would be short based on what's happened in in, in China, because that's kind of what they've had. So. so basically, Michael, what you're saying is that the Chinese markets, their economy, it, it didn't break. They were actually acting yeah. properly in the sense that they priced in the uncertainty. They priced in the risk of decreased production, decreased output, so on and so forth. And now that they're at the tail end of that, markets are now pricing in the fact that the economy is rebooting. Right. That is essentially what we're seeing here. And what you have to ask yourself when it comes to your own portfolio is, do you believe markets are fundamentally broken? Do you believe this is a, a, a sign that markets are no longer efficient? Or do you believe that markets are acting efficiently in pricing in the effect of the coronavirus? Now, obviously, my take would be that markets are efficient that they are pricing in the uncertainty and risk associated with the coronavirus. If you fall into that camp, like I would hope most listeners would, then you have a second question, which is, do you believe that you can time that process, the process of the market pricing in the uncertainty, the uncertainty playing out, turning into risk, the risk playing out, and then the recovery? Now, if you look at history, you don't really have a good chance of doing that. I would say that's more true than ever now, given the, the fact that we haven't ever really experienced anything like this. So as an individual investor, I think the takeaway is, first of all, understand 
where you are on the investment horizon. Okay. If you are in your thirties, forties, even fifties, as long as you're taking the proper amount of risk in your portfolio, there's really not much you should be doing. If you're diversified, if your costs are down, don't lose sleep. You don't have to liquidate as long as you don't sell in a panic and realize those losses that you're currently having as paper losses, you're going to be just fine. Long-term markets will come back as we've discussed already today. And there's not much for you to do in that event. Now, as I said, you want to make sure you're taking the right amount of risk. So the second thing is in light of what we've seen the last two, three weeks, maybe reassess, am I taking the right amount of risk? If you're highly uncomfortable, if you're losing sleep at night, it doesn't mean get out of the market, panic, sell and go to cash. It means when things recover, maybe you reallocate, maybe you reduce the overall risk in your portfolio so that 10, 15, 20 years from now, the next time we have something like this, you experience less of that downturn. And so you, therefore you experience less discomfort. So understanding where you are on the time horizon and understanding what your risk tolerance actually is, is really important. And events like this, I think are helpful because when things are good in the market, it's really easy to overestimate one's risk tolerance. So getting a healthier measure for what that is will set you up better to survive the next thing as we know will happen. We just don't know when. Now, lastly, <clears throat> I would say when I talk to folks, most of the time, the conversation has been prompted by some piece of information they've consumed <laughs> from another source. And that's okay. It's our job as citizens to be informed, to know what's going on so we can take proper precautions. But all I would say is understand two things. First off, understand the incentive of the medium giving you that information. So whether that's a cable news channel, whether it's a website, a social right. media thing, whatever that is, understand what the motivations are behind that, that source. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because mainly I'm talking about mainstream media here. If you're watching CNN money, if you're watching, you know, MSNBC, whatever the case is, they're incentivized to keep your attention, to keep your eyeballs on the screen. All right. And to say, well, you know, if we look back at history, we look at data, we look at how markets work, chances are a quarter, two quarters from now, speaking nothing of the virus itself or the human component, but just the market component, chances are markets will have rebounded and be about back to where they were. That's not very exciting. That doesn't keep your attention. Okay. So understanding that can be helpful. Two, understanding how the piece of news or information that you're consuming, how it actually connects or relates to your own situation. And this is huge because I'll talk to people all the time that, you know, oh my goodness, uh, you know, the S&P is down 15%. And then the next question is, well, what do you hold? Oh, well, I hold international and, you know, cash. Well, it's just important to understand when I read something or hear something or watch something, how, how related to my situation is that piece of news? So then you, you, you can engage the emotion you should feel from that. That can be a sign that either a you're underreacting or more likely you're overreacting so those two things are huge and then lastly and then i'm gonna i'm gonna get off my soapbox here mm -hmm. lastly i can't stress enough how important it is to understand how because i talk to a lot of retired folks if you're retired chances are to create an income stream you're not liquidating all of your equities at one time okay so when you sit here, one of the most common things I've heard the last couple of weeks is, you know, if I was in my 20s or 30s, I wouldn't be losing any sleep, but I'm too old to experience a loss like this. And the key is 
the thing that would make that statement by them true is if they panic sell. Okay. If you sell at a dip, then you're realizing those losses. And what that means is when the recovery comes, you don't have as much fuel in the fire to bounce back. So your losses will be greater than your, your gains in the recovery. And that's how you truly lose wealth over time. If you're retired, even if you're getting income off of your assets, hopefully whatever you're doing with your portfolio or, or whoever is managing that portfolio for you is doing it in a way such that you have places in the portfolio you can go to realize income for some significant amount of period that doesn't involve selling equities that are taking a bath in the market that are highly depressed. Okay. So just realizing that and, and putting into context all the noise you hear and all the panic that you hear, some valid, some not, and relating that to your specific situation. And then having a conversation with somebody that um, can guide you on what the thought process and decision making steps should be to weather that storm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's more talking than anyone should ever hear me do. So I apologize. <laughs> no, well said. Um, Michael, is there anything you want to add on to that as we wrap up here? No, I think that covers it. I mean, if people have questions, obviously let us know. Uh, happy to answer any questions uh, specifically that people might have. Individual situations can vary. So happy to sit down and talk through uh, any of that with people uh, as the need arises. Yep, absolutely. All righty. You guys, thank Thanks you so too. much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll we'll see. talk to you guys soon. Okay, Bye-bye. sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.